Welcome to Grace and Glory Audio, featuring Pastor P.G. Matthew, Bible teacher and pastor of Grace Valley Christian Center, located in Davis, California. Today, Pastor Matthew departs from our normal audio production to present a special Christmas message entitled, The Gift of God in His Son. If you have your Bible with you, please turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8. Now, here's our teacher, Pastor P.G. Matthew. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, help us to unpack the gift you have sent to us from heaven in the person of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen. The gift of God in his Son. During this Advent season, when we are to understand and celebrate Why Jesus Christ came to earth from heaven. Many people, as usual, are into Santa Claus and Christmas songs like Jingle Bells, White Christmas, Winter Wonderland, Frosty the Snowman. They are taken up with the lights and decorations. Christmas trees, sending and receiving cards, giving and receiving gifts, and getting together for elaborate dinners. A lot of businesses make a lot of money during this time. Yet for many, this is a very depressing time. And so they commit suicide. I don't know what gift Santa Claus is bringing for good kids this year. I want to tell you what gift God has sent for us in his son, Jesus Christ. Most Christians today have no clue about this great gift Of God's salvation in Jesus Christ. So we will consider briefly the person. And the saving work of Jesus Christ. First the person of God's son. Every human birth in the world is the result of a man begetting. And a woman conceiving. The only exception to this is the birth of Jesus Christ. His birth was the consequence of a miraculous conception of the poor Jewish teenager, the Virgin Mary. She, a sinner like us, received the grace of God. Even as Noah, a sinner, we are told, received grace. Holy Spirit begat, and the Virgin Mary conceived and gave birth in due time. Mary was betrothed to a poor older man, Joseph. But before they came together, she was with child. 
by the Holy Spirit's creative action. Both Mary and Joseph, though dirt poor, were of royal lineage of the family of King David. It was decreed by God and prophesied by Micah that the Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem. A taxing decree of Caesar Augustus brought Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem, the city where David was born, a three days journey south from Nazareth near Sepphoris. While there, the time came for Mary to deliver the baby Jesus. But there was no place for them in the inn of Bethlehem. And no room, apparently, in the houses of Bethlehem. They had no relatives there who would receive them. So Jesus was born in the open air or in a cave stable. And Mary laid him in a feeding trough. A manger used to feed the cattle. No midwife attended her. I am sure Joseph did help. This baby we are told born sinless. So we read the words of angel Gabriel. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. When he became an adult, he asked, who can convict me of sin? Jesus was the seed of the woman who was born to crush the head of the ancient serpent, the devil, who deceived the other woman, Eve. Mary was the virgin Isaiah prophesied in his prophecy, chapter 7, verse 14. Mary was the woman Paul wrote about. When the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, that he may redeem those under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Who is this baby? He is Emmanuel, God with us. So he told the apostles, I'll be with you. He is the Son of God, He is the Lamb of God, He is the King of Israel. He is fully God and fully man. He is the Christ promised. He is King of Kings, and His kingdom is forever. He is the Holy One of God, He is Lord. He is Jesus, for He will save His people from their sins. He is Savior, Savior of the whole world. Yes, He alone forgives our sins, but He does even more. When He became man, 
he did not begin to exist as a person like every other man. He eternally existed as divine person. To this divine person, he added human nature, both body and soul. Incarnation, therefore, means addition of sinless human nature to his divine person. Listen to my professor John Murray. The incarnation means that he who never began to be in his specific identity as son of God began to be what he eternally was not. The infinite became the finite. The eternal and supratemporal entered time and became subject to its conditions. The immutable became mutable. The invisible became the visible. The creator became the created. The sustainer of all became dependent. The almighty became infirm. God became man. In other words, the incarnation means the conjunction in one person of all that belongs to Godhead and all that belongs to true manhood. Professor Murray says he came into the closest relation to sinful humanity that it was possible for him to come without thereby becoming himself sinful. Or listen to Dr. J.I. Packer. It was in virtue of his deity that he was able to defeat and dispossess the devil who kept sinners in a state of helpless thraldom. So he became a mediator between God and men. His deity was the guarantee that he would achieve in the flesh that sinlessness which was prerequisite if he were to die as the Lamb of God without blemish or spot. As man, he fully obeyed God's law and died for our sins. And as God man, he was tempted and fought against every temptation and won every time for the glory of God. The person of God's Son. Point number two the work, the saving work of Jesus. The work assigned to Jesus was to save his people, the elect sinners of the world. The Father's eternal donation to the Son. It is to be accomplished by his atoning death. Why? For the wages of sin is death. 
His name is Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Matthew 20, verse 28, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but he came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Listen to the writer to the Hebrews. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. For what purpose? So that by his death, he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. St. John tells us in 1 John 3 and verse 8, He who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Paul says in 1 Timothy 1 verse 15, Here is a trustworthy saying, that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. St. Paul again tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 26, Jesus Christ at his second epiphany, he comes to destroy, annihilate Death. Our text, 2 Timothy 1 9 through 10, gives us a summary of Christ's work. It is also a summary of the gospel. Take a look at it. God has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done. But because of his own purpose and grace, this grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Friends, Jesus Christ was sent from heaven. There is a heaven. There is an upstairs. There is transcendence. Sent from heaven from the bosom of the Father into this fallen world to be born of a virgin that he may deal with sin and Satan in death and hell and all our fears. First, God saved us. The Bible calls God the Father our Savior. Titus 3 and verse 4, but when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, God the Father is our Savior. 
God the Father planned our salvation. He has saved us. He saves us. He will save us. He has saved us from God's own wrath that was revealed against us. He has saved us from the dominion of sin and Satan and death. He has saved us from death and the crippling fear of death. He has given us eternal life. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation and no separation from the love of God. God is for us. Who can be against us? He did not spare his own son. He gave him up. To justify and spare us. Secondly God called us. Friends to a holy life. God saved us by calling us. To have fellowship with him. And his son. God called us. By the gospel preached to us by his chosen and sent servants. He called us effectually. So when he called we came. We came because of his powerful and irresistible drawing of us. When he called us he gave us new birth. He opened our closed heart and mind. To believe the gospel. We were like Lazarus. In the tomb. For four days. And God called us. Lazarus come out. The dead man. We are told came out. Effectual calling. Behold he is living. This is effectual call. Those dead in sins and trespasses are being raised by the preaching of the gospel, by the effectual call of God. We are called, friends, to live a holy life. He calls us to himself to dwell with him. Friends, God is holy. So he makes us holy that we may live with him. Sinners! The proud, the arrogant cannot dwell with the holy God. Look at what Paul says in Ephesians 1 verse 4. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. And Ephesians 5, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy. Cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. And to present her to himself as a radiant church. Without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. If you live an unholy life you are not saved. You are still in your sins. John seventeen seventeen, Jesus Christ Praise, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is true. St. Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 7. For God did not call us to be impure. But to live a holy life. 
Paul writes to the Corinthians, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy. In Titus chapter 2, we read, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. God's children are like God. They are holy. If you are living a sinful life, at the same time claiming to be Christian, you are in fact children of the devil. As we read in John 8, verse 44, you belong to your father the devil and you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him when he lies. He speaks his native language for he is a liar and the father of all lies. Number three, salvation is not based on our good works. Our works, friends, are like filthy rags. They are a loss, not our resume. They are refuse. They are dung. Our good works, works we do and must do as believers, prove that we are saved by God, by grace. It is by grace alone we do good works pleasing to God. Remember, our salvation by grace precedes our good works. So Paul says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Titus 3 verse 5, God our Savior saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. And we study it from Romans 9 and verse 16. It does not therefore depend on man's desire or effort. But on God's mercy. Our salvation depends on God's mercy. Number four. Our salvation source. God's purpose and grace. God purposed to save us by grace. Without this divine good pleasure plan, nobody would be saved. What God purposes, he fulfills. Unlike human purposing. Nothing can frustrate God's purpose. He purposed to save us by grace before time, before history, before our birth, before our good works. He purposed to save us in eternity past. We were loved by God from all eternity. We were in God's plan from all eternity. He purposed to save us not based on our eligibility, 
God saves only sinners. Chief of sinners. He refuses to save the self-righteous Pharisee. He saves by his own purpose and grace. His own purpose. Not his and our purpose. He does not, friends, consult with us. So Ephesians 1 verse 11, In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Disappointing, isn't it, sir? He doesn't consult with peanut brain fallen sinners. Romans 8. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. Who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew he also predestined and so on. Or Romans 9 verse 11. Yet before the twins were born or had done anything good or bad. In order that God's purpose in election might stand. He loved Jacob and hated Esau. If anyone is saved, it is because of God's eternal purpose and grace alone. Number five. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus in eternity past. Friends, do you know this grand and exhilarating truth? We were given the gift of grace by God the Father in eternity before time, before we were born in Christ Jesus. We were given grace. Ephesians 1 and verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. In one sense we were in Christ from eternity. From eternity the Father loved us and chose us to be saved by his Son Jesus Christ. And so we read this in John 17 verse 2 and 6 and 9 and 24 that we were Father's donation to Jesus Christ from all eternity that he may become incarnate that he may die for our sins that he may save us. John 17 verse 2 for you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. From eternity we were given to Jesus Christ that he may give us eternal life in the fullness of time. We belong to the Father in eternity. We belong to the Father now. The Father loves us, friends, even as he loves his own Son, Jesus Christ. John 17, verse 23. Does this truth not give us great security, deep assurance of God's love, and peace beyond all human comprehension? Especially at the time of your death. 
Saint Paul says this grace abounds to many. Romans 5 verse 15. And he says this we receive grace in abounding measure. So that his grace is sufficient for us to live in this sinful world. Paul says in Romans 5. Because of this grace we reign in life. Not merely existing. Complaining and being miserable and putting up with life. No, sir. We reign in life. So Paul says we are more than conquerors. This saving grace is embodied in Jesus Christ alone. Salvation by grace alone in Christ alone. This grace is found in Jesus Christ alone. All other ways of salvation are false and deceiving and engineered by the devil himself. Do you want to see grace, love, salvation, truth, the way to life? Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus alone. This grace was given us in eternity. It was hidden in Christ. But it has been made manifest. To the whole world now. Now in the historical incarnational life. Of God's son Jesus Christ our Lord. It is brought to your attention and knowledge. By the gospel preached. By a man sent. It is happening right now. Now made manifest in the fullness of time. God sent his son born of Mary. Born to obey the Lord to redeem his people. Guilty sinners. That they be sons of God by adoption. Grace has been manifested in Jesus Christ. In the gospel. So John says from the fullness of his grace. We have all received grace upon grace upon grace. One blessing after another. Titus 2 verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. That is in the person of Jesus Christ. Grace has made its epiphany. All the world is hearing about it in the gospel proclamation. Friends the ground of our salvation. Is the historical work of Jesus. Performed in his first advent Which we celebrate with intelligence and gratitude. Jesus Christ also is the savior we are told in many places. There is no other name by which we must be saved. He is also salvation. The old Simeon took one look upon this this infant Jesus. He said... Now let me die, for I have seen the salvation of the Lord. What he is saying is, let me die now, for I am saved by Jesus, the Savior, in whom I am trusting. Look to him and be saved, all the peoples of the world. Now what did Jesus do for his people, sir? 
negatively, he abolished our death by his death on the cross. Christ Jesus died in my place. Jesus said, when a strong man fully armed guards his own house, his possessions are saved. But when someone stronger attacks and overpowers him, he takes away the armor in which the man trusted and divides the spoils. Thank God for a stronger one. Stronger than the devil. Jesus Christ, the eternal God-man came and bound death and Satan and sin and set us free. That's why we sing and praise our God. Acts 2.24, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death. Now notice, because death was incompetent to keep its hold on him. He is eternal God without sin. Or Hebrews 2, 14 and 15, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. All fear of sinful man is centered in the fear of death. Jesus abolished it. That he's rendered it powerless and inoperative by Christ's death. Our enemies are all rendered powerless. Death, Satan and sin. Resist the devil and he shall flee from you. This superhuman devil shall flee in the name of Jesus Christ. Modern secular society either trivializes death or lives in total despair. They refuse to speak or think about death. They are gripped by their fear of death. And they cover their fear by plastic surgery and partying. Every son of Adam is spiritually dead. That is separation of soul from God. So they die physically. That is separation of soul from body. Also they die eternal death or what we call second death which is separation of soul and body from God forever. Friends, for a believer in Jesus Christ there is no eternal death. There is no spiritual death for he has been made alive in their spirit by God's gracious effectual call. And for a believer, there is no fear of physical death. He enjoys freedom from fear of death. We are told he falls asleep in Jesus. He dies in the Lord, not in his sins. Death for him is not a loss, but gain. Death is far better. He is blessed because the Bible says, blessed are those who die in the Lord. His death is precious in the sight of God. He crossed over death into life in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He goes to paradise to be with the Lord. He worships in heaven perfected in spirit with great joy. 
To a believer, Satan is bound. He is defeated. And death is a black dog without teeth that barks, but he is tied up, bound by the mightier Christ. So Paul writes to Timothy, his last letter, as he faced beheading by the Nero's sword, he says, Christ abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, sir. The sting of death has been removed from the scorpion by Jesus Christ. The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. He kept the law for us. He died our death. So we fear not Satan who has lost the power of death. We fear not death. Christ abolished death and will annihilate it when he comes again. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Now death is rendered inoperative, powerless, incompetent. But then Christ the victor will finally destroy it. The death then will be Swallowed up in victory. But positively, sir, Christ has brought to light life and immortality. Jesus turned the light on to immortal life. Look to Jesus. He is life. He is immortality. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. He said, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. He said, I will raise them up on the last day. He said four times in John 6. I will raise them up on the last day. Incorruptibility is an attribute of God and God will make us like God by giving us incorruptible life in Jesus Christ. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. John 3.36, whoever lives in the Son has eternal life. And whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. This life we enjoy in three stages, in increasing fullness. In this life, we have given eternal life to all who believe in Jesus. Union with Jesus by faith is union with life and immortality. At death, our perfected spirit enter into God's presence. Carried by the angels to enjoy life with the God in greater degree. We go to paradise. There we will be in Abraham's bosom. There we will be comforted by God, the Bible says. And at Christ's second coming, we shall be given an incorruptible and glorious body to dwell with 
God with maximum enjoyment of this life. What is eternal life, sir? Jesus said, this is eternal life. That they may know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. To know God is to love God, is to dwell with God and his son forever, sir. Life and immortality, God's gift to us. In this Advent season, God the Father is offering us life and immortality in his son, Jesus Christ, who abolished our death. 1 Corinthians 15:42. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised, what's a imperishable, incorruptible, and will be changed, for the perishable must close itself with imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, when the perishable has been clothed with imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true, what is it? Death has been swallowed up in victory so Jesus said I am living one I was dead and behold I am alive forever and ever and I hold the keys of death and Hades Jesus Christ lives this immortal life because he lives we live Hallelujah! in him we are given life and immortality And the question is, how does anyone obtain this life? Through the gospel. The gospel holds out for you death of death and life and immortality. The gospel reveals Jesus Christ who nullified death and brought to us immortal life. The gospel is the gospel of salvation, great salvation. What must one do to be saved? Friends, make room for Jesus in the inn of your heart. Let Christ come in and sin and death and all misery go out. He comes to set you free from the fear of death. He comes to give the gift of immortal life. So the angel Gabriel told the poor shepherds of Bethlehem, do not be afraid. Because I bring you good news of what, sir? Great joy. That will be for all the people today in the town of David. A Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Receive him as Savior. As Christ, as Lord. He is Soter and Soterion. He is Savior and he is salvation. He saves his people from their sins, their guilt, their death. Friends, believe and sing with great joy. Join the celestial choir that celebrate this greatest event in the universe. The incarnation of Jesus. Yes, the gospel, friends, is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. So how can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard and how can they hear without someone preaching to them and how can they preach unless they are sent I am sent sir and I am preaching to you 
hear, believe in Jesus Christ. And call on the name of the Lord and everybody who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You have been listening to Grace and Glory Audio of this special Christmas message entitled The Gift of God and His Son. Come back soon for more transforming Bible teaching from Pastor P.G. Matthew 